Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. On today's episode, we're reading John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked, Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he came but how he can now see but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. 
But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Well, let's jump in first to this massive theological conundrum. So in verse 3, Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, as a response to his disciples. Who are curious, Rabbi, did this man sin or his parents? Like, why is he blind? And on one sense, Jesus' answer is very comforting. This has nothing to do with sin. But the problem is, his answer also creates more questions and struggle. He does say that this happened, this man is blind, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So this is a somewhat spoiler alert, but we will eventually get to places in the scripture where God talks about, like, he emphasizes he is Lord, we are vessels, we are servants, he does his will in our lives, and it's frustrating and confusing and painful. And I cannot sit here and tell you, oh yeah, this is great that Jesus says this man is born blind so that God can be glorified. I forget if it's in the text or some historical context that someone shared. I think this man's like probably like 30 years old. I cannot imagine being in that position just so that God can be glorified. That's so painful and so confusing. Now, on one sense, we have to realize our overemphasis of individualism in American society. We have no concept of Eastern cultures that the community is more important than ourselves. And while both sides, individualism and corporate community care, are they, they both have value, both extremes can be harmful. Now, why am I saying all this? I can't imagine that it would be completely nullified for an Eastern person to say, man, I suffered so that the community could grow, but it would be a lot easier to digest. Like this is, this is something that's very offensive to Americans. 
And just because I'm hosting this podcast, like I hate this too. It's confusing. But this, like many areas in scripture, we can't just throw it out. We have to wrestle. And I wonder too, as a, as a man born with learning disabilities, where I was told at a young age that English would always be a second language to me. It's my first language, but it would be like a second language to me. Now, I'm sure people listening to this and people that know me might be like, what the heck are you talking about? You're not in my brain. And you don't know how difficult it is for me to communicate sometimes and how many things I have to think through multiple times to get it right. Regardless, the point is, I've suffered. We've all suffered. This is a specific area I've suffered. And I'm like, how in the world could God be glorified in that? How could God be glorified in me having a car accident and suffering? And this opens up a big conversation. One, does God just cause suffering? No, but he allows suffering. Humanity's fall causes all kinds of suffering. And God chooses to then redeem some or maybe all of that suffering. I don't know. But let's go back to the text because this man... This blind man, I just have to wonder, what if the only way that he would have surrendered to Jesus and seen him as God, what if the only way was for him to have been blind for all those years? I speculate that because I wonder the same thing about myself. Having suffered with depression for like 25, 30 years I am probably the most stubborn human being I know. And though I can't say that in an instant, well, actually, that's not completely true. When I came to know Jesus, I had six months of like maybe eight months. It was a a decent amount of time. No depression. Had never happened in my life before. It got my attention. And I also know that if I hadn't been so down and miserable I would have spent the rest of my life just pursuing and being okay with humanistic ideas, with just fulfilling carnal desires, and not being hungry and curious about a new life and heaven and a God. And I can't speak that for everyone, but I know for me, as much as I really hate that I suffered so long, I would be so surprised if I could see a parallel universe where Brian didn't have depression and saw his need for Jesus, that he saw his need for saving. That is so humbling. And so I have to wonder if that's an element here as well, that it's not just for God's glory, that for the other people that saw this blind man, but what if it was for his own good too? And in no way, Am I trying to diminish others' pain? Because like I said, so 25, 30 years of depression. And maybe in the last two years, I'm 34, have I been like, oh my gosh. I think I see this other perspective all of a sudden. 
it's taken a long time. And I don't know if I can say all of me is thankful for my journey, but like 80 to 90% now is like, wow, I can't imagine any other way. Because I still (laughs) very much struggle. I still am very stubborn. Even with all I've experienced and seen, I needed a giant wake-up call. We're going to come back to this theme in a minute, but we're going to jump over to how Jesus is unaffected and unmoved by the threats and the disappointment and the hatred of the Pharisees. He doesn't return their hatred with hatred. He doesn't play their game. And he doesn't cower away either and shut down because he feels like a failure and he cares too much about what they think. And this touches on a theme that means a lot to me. Either offend people for the wrong reason or offend people for the right reason. The right reason is when we are incredibly humble and patient and kind and slow to speak and slow to become angry and quick to listen. When we are humble and open to anything and everything we might have done or said wrong. When we are patient and pleading with someone who is walking off a cliff, not judging, not seeing ourselves as better than them, and they get frustrated and they get angry and they say mean things about us. It's a very another thing when we're blunt and difficult and insensitive and don't care and pushy and forceful and people don't like you or just talking about hell randomly and people don't like you. Um, That's not the kind of boldness that Jesus walked in. Again, you see the Pharisees and the people who think they have the information, those are the ones who he doesn't seem to care if he's offending them. For all the curious seekers, he's very patient, and he's not using terms that they don't understand. He's very contextual for their experience. If he's talking to Jews, he used Jewish context. If he's talking with Gentiles, he doesn't use the Jewish story because they don't know it. So friends, if we're talking with non-believers about Jesus, and we're throwing out random things like lamb and blood and death and crucifixion, I'm sorry, but if I was not a Christian, I haven't heard that stuff, I'd be like, what weird cult are you talking about? This stuff only makes sense once we've been crafted into the family of God. It means nothing, nor should it mean anything, to the non-believer. They haven't experienced these things. It's like expecting someone who's never done astrophysics to walk into a class and it all makes sense to them. No, it's, (laughs) it's Greek to them. Another parallel is when I'm in the counseling room on the first session, if someone's talking about doing cocaine or whatever that might be harmful for them, I don't just immediately lead with, dude, you need to stop. Like, you have to earn that trust that I'm not just trying to lord myself over you, control you, that I don't think I'm better than you or judging you. You enter the story where the person is at and and just relate with them. And then through that true, authentic, relational currency might be able to suggest, hey man, maybe this is hurting you. I think about my own life. If I have friends or my spouse or whoever, if if we're on rocky terms and then you start suggesting I do something differently, 
I'm going to be more defensive than if I feel connected and I know and feel a deep sense of, man, this person is for me. So if they're telling me maybe I'm hurting myself, then I'm going to listen to them. They have earned the right for me to listen to their challenge. This is why we don't just go up to people and and force evangelism on them or give them tracks because you're talking about deeply sensitive, meaningful, vulnerable things. And if it's not relational, you know, then it's probably not going to do anything and might even push people away. Well, I didn't expect for that little impromptu sermon, so I'm going to like re-pivot back to the context. So here we are, again, at chapter 9, verse 1, rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Again, Jesus encourages us to say, hey, guess what? So sin isn't an easy marker for saying, oh, you have X, Y, or Z disease or struggle, therefore you or your parents sinned. He's taking out that myth. Sure, can sin cause problems? Like if you start sleeping around and get an STD, that might be a natural consequence of sin. It's not like God is just like, hey, hey, hey I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you suffer. It's just a natural consequence. But he's not saying, hey, guess what? You're blind, you're crippled because you or your parents sinned, which is apparently a well-held belief in their day. But then Jesus doesn't comfort us by saying, so neither this man nor his parents sinned, but. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And friends, I'll be first to to say, I hate that. (laughs) I find it not offensive maybe, but just frustrating. And and it makes me scared. And like, can I trust this God? For me personally, on a high level, if you know anything about learning disabilities that make school and life and processing and communication frustratingly difficult, I was born with, with a handful of them. And so as I'm like, okay, it's great. It wasn't my sin or my parents' sin that gave me this, but very possible happened so that the works of God might be displayed. And I'm like, I I didn't ask for that. I don't want that. It's very difficult. Now, granted, I'm 34 years old. I've had some time to wrestle with that, some counseling, some prayer and things like that. It used to be 100% anger at God. And now sometimes I'm setting into what then Paul will talk about when we get to him, that God's power is perfected in weakness. Again, hate it, but then it's also really neat when you're able to see those moments of, I don't have strength here. I don't have anything to give here. And somehow this conversation went really well. I'm empty. I've got nothing. And yet I see God do something really neat, really cool. Again, our Western culture has no real concept for being servants and respecting the royalty of God, the kingship and lordship of God. We don't want to say that someone has a right over us. And that's one of many core principles of a deity, that he is over us. And it does touch on very difficult concepts of We have to know who he is, that he is a good, kind father who, even though thousands of times it can seem like, are you good? Like, do you care about me? Like, I'm suffering a lot. Like, where are you? It takes a long time, at least for me it did, to see, oh my gosh, okay, you you really are good and kind and this is frustrating and I can wrestle with you but maybe there's parts of this that I don't understand yet. Again, trying to hold the both. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be frustrated. But there's also a place, and I've struggled in this, to have faith 
and believe that God is going to do something or is doing something, even if we don't see it. Okay, from here, as we saw in the text, Jesus heals the man, does it in a unique way. He spits on the ground, makes some saliva, puts it on the guy's eyes. He washes them in, I think, even a potentially very dirty body of water, if I'm remembering correctly. Again, all this to emphasize, <laughs> guys, no matter what you think, you know, speaking to the people of the time, nothing that Jesus, like the actual actions are what made him well. It's the power of Christ. Like, he's going out of his way to be like, this is ridiculous. None of this actually would help a, a blind man. It's all an act of faith. Are you willing to trust me with things that don't make any sense? Have faith in me, and I will heal you. And that's exactly what happens. And then it's interesting because we see this blind man being healed. Awesome. And some people are like, wow, this guy, I know this guy. He's been healed. And others are like, nah, he only looks like him. I, I think that's just funny. It's like... It's so easy to think that just because we're modern society, we have difficulty with miracles. Clearly, even in Jesus' day, it's not like they're all just idiots. They're like, nah, I'm going to look for some reason that this isn't a miracle, that this didn't just happen. Doubt isn't specifically uh, a marker of our time. It's a time of being a human. (laughs) We all struggle with believing and taking risks and trusting. And then we get into this interesting back and forth between the blind man and the Pharisees. They ask him lots of repeat questions, which is interesting. And he even calls it out and is like, I think tongue in cheek, being like, do you want to be his disciples too? Because I've already answered these questions. And so it's kind of silly that you're just like expecting me to change my story. He did these things. Do you believe in him or not? And then it's, it's interesting and sad. Um, again, this is something not um, exclusive to antiquity. The, the religious leaders kick him out. They, they excommunicate him from the synagogue. And this is the reason his parents didn't even speak up. They were too afraid to upset the religious structure and the religious power that their leaders had for fear of being excommunicated that they didn't have an opinion. They stayed silent. And this man is excommunicated because he took a risk. And this is something that's going to happen. I mean, I'm not going to go into this on this podcast, but for hundreds and hundreds of years, when people resist, again, harmful, anti-God, wrong religious, religiosity, faith, and, and, and organized religion, they're excommunicated too, which is very sad. So he is kicked out of the synagogue, what we would call church. This part just makes me cringe. It's like, oh my gosh, like the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. It's just sad. The idea that pastors, religious figures should be some of the most humble, kind, patient people, like degrees, seminaries, although important, don't mean anything in comparison with actual character. These people were incredibly learned, the most learned people of their day. And yet, all they had was dead, empty knowledge and not the appreciation or the eyes being open to what the knowledge was pointing to, the Messiah. This was just a social club, a club of power, a club of being better than other people. They felt threatened. And they say a very inaccurate statement. You were steeped in sin since birth. Well, so were you guys. Like, like, who do you think you are? They throw him out. 
Jesus hears that they throw him out. Ah, love this. And he pursues this man. He finds him and says, do you believe in the son of man? Part of me is like, who the heck would know what that means? Like that hasn't been talked about much. But this man, instead of saying, "Ah, I don't know what that means or that's weird or whatever. Who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. And then I've never noticed this till reading it this time with you all. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I can't even imagine the faith that this man had. I mean, you don't just go around worshiping human beings. He believed that he, Jesus was the son of man, that he was God, that he was the Lord. He was the Messiah. On one sense, it could be obvious. All right, he healed me. Of course, I'm going to believe in him. And yet, we're going to see other people in these stories that are healed and don't seem to even thank Jesus. So we can't take that for granted. And I could use my own self, my own stories, how many times I've prayed for things and forgotten that God did a miracle or something really awesome or something really mighty or, he, or he, I see it, and then I forget so quickly and go right back to challenging and right back to doubting and right back to accusing. I'm just like Israel in the desert. Oh, man, it came down from heaven. All right, two days later, what have you done for me now? And it's like, are you serious? And I say that with all the love and compassion in my heart. Like, in one sense, like, yeah, my heart's kind of ridiculous, but then also like, oh, man, this seems to be the human narrative. We, we kind of suck. And yet Jesus loves us and he pursues us and doesn't give up on us. Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Again, a reminder that our schedule has changed and we're now just doing episodes every Wednesday. Well, I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good day.